Hello everybody, I am so sorry that this episode is two days late, but we're here now. Let's get episode 10 of Voices from the Northeast started. So this is it everybody, we are sat down and ready to go for episode 10 of the first series of the podcast. Thank you to all of you who have been here. There's over 300 of you listening to the show, which just feels wonderful given that it's only been shared with everybody publicly for a few weeks. Thank you so much. Thank you to those of you that share your memories with me via the Facebook posts and kindly let me read them out for you. I hope I do those ones justice. I really do. And thank you for all of those out there who are sharing this with their friends, with their family, um, and and people who've sent me messages from some some in some cases quite far afield, um, America. We have people listening in the states. We've got people listening in this country, but who no longer live in the Ashton area. We've got people who live in France. People who are living in South Africa. All of whom who are listening and reconnecting with their past and their roots, and it's absolutely wonderful to be able to do that. Like I said, this is episode 10 of series 1, and I'm going to take a short break, but that break is going to form just a change of the format of the show. I produce an episode every single week, comes out every Friday, and some Fridays it feels like a bit of a rush. So to ease my burden, um, I'm going to do some talking head episodes where I'm just going to talk to one person and let them tell me their story, which means I will not be sitting editing for as long as I do on the average episode, which should make releasing an episode every week a little less stressful. I'm going to do that for maybe two weeks and then mid-March come back with series two. I have lots of ideas um, and they're not all my ideas, they've come from everybody that I interview, of things they'd like to talk about, stories they'd like to share. And I am going to post on Facebook in various groups to ask for your input. I'd like, well, I'd like more people to come and talk to me, but I'd also like more people to tell me what they would like to hear. You know, are there any particular moments in the Asherton, North Seaton and Southeast Northumberland history that you'd really like to hear people talk about, you know, where were you when, how did X affect you, etc. Okay, so keep your eyes uh, and ears <laughs> there ready to hear those as they come out of the next few weeks. Um, we're at nearly three minutes of me talking here, which on this podcast seems just horrific. I shouldn't be doing that. Let's get down to hearing from our regulars. Now, this is the third episode and final episode of our school's trilogy. We were in infant school, junior school, and now we're about to find out who passed the 11 plus and where they went. We're going to head down to the Hurst East School now, where Jacqueline's going to tell us all about the house competitions. And let me see now, going on to the Hurst East School, when I was 11, that was completely different. Uh, we felt really growing up, plus we had a school uniform as well. And if you didn't have the proper school uniform, you had to bring a letter from your mum asking why 
you didn't have your black shoes on, you didn't have your tie on. Um, otherwise, you've gone into trouble. Oh, can um, you it, can you remember what the colours were of your uniform back then? Yes, I can. It was a navy cardigan or jumper, navy skirt, and we had a red and white strippy shirt, and the tie was red and green stripes. Oh. And we were put into different houses. Mine was Linda's phone, where we had to wear a navy blue badge. I believe Bambra was a red badge, uh, Otterburn green, and Bambra was red. And of course, when we had sports day and sort of competed against one another, you sort of competed to keep your house top of the league if you yeah, could. Yeah. You know, probably yeah. they still do the same. Paul, nowadays I, I'm not sure. Well, actually, it's funny how systems kind of fell out of favour for a while. Um, right. But there's a lot, and there's, there's been a lot of the last, I don't know, um, uh, well, let me think now, of course, this is going to make me feel old in schools, but between, <laughs> in the last 10 years in education, there's a lot more schools have kind of realised that there was a real um, importance for team yes. spirit and things of those, and so a lot of places have brought them back. Well, I think it, yeah. it was. Yeah, um, definitely. I think the best places that have brought them back have done what you're talking about and what I remember from Hurst Park, where it's named after local things. So in my day, it was yes. the, the rivers, the Tweed, the Allen, um, Corkett, I think I remember at school. Um, the worst ones I hear is where they literally just named their houses after the ones in Harry Potter. Um, oh, right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. No, mm. no. Completely new to me. That, But it was friendly competition as well. Yeah, yeah. It's important for yeah. kids to learn that. Yeah, even if you didn't do very well, you felt as if you were taking part in something worthwhile and your house colours and that meant, meant a lot to you then, especially at that age. Definitely. Um, I can remember though when we went to the to the to sorry to the East School, um whenever a teacher came into the room or left the room, everybody had to stand up. Ah, you right. Know, yeah, you yeah. had to sort of have really good manners, and there was definitely no talking in class unless you were asked a question. Oh, wow. Um, you know, you are taught how to behave respectfully and to each other as well. Um, but I can remember the games we played netball, hockey. Um, so we had a gym. And we had never been into a gym before. And there was the climbing frames, the ropes, the horse, all these exercise mats. It, it was it was great. Um, sort of you was an equipment like that that we'd never done before. Then there was the long jumps and high jumps, um, which we really enjoyed as well. Um, plenty of exercise. And there again, you are in teams as well, not only your house colours, but maybe another kind of team. And just competing against each other just seemed good for, and there was no ill feeling. It's um, funny, isn't it? A lot of people, I think, um, kind of dread PE and sports when they're at mm -hmm. school. But when you yes. look back, when you look back on it, when you're a bit older, you always think, yeah, it was good fun, that actually, and I enjoyed that really. And yeah, That's it. It's just a shame that at the time, sometimes you thought, oh, I'm absolutely hopeless. I'm not doing very well. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it's amazing just taking part just by your confidence. Yeah, definitely. And sort of every everybody being together and you could sort of laugh at your mistakes. And I think that's a good thing as well because everybody makes mistakes. But if you can have a little bit of a laugh about it with your friends, it's not so bad, is it? Yeah, quite agree, quite agree. Well, when I was at the East School, this was the first time I sort of ever did domestic science and cookery. And we had a lovely teacher called Miss Crichton and the domestic science room was kept separate from the main part of the school. It was at the bottom of the school, away from everybody. And whenever you went into the, the domestic science room, it had a lovely warm smell about it. It smelled of like green soap, so clean. It was spotless, but of course it had to be. And the first year, we had to learn you know, how, to, how to wash clothes, how to iron them. We had to take my dad's hankies in to wash them and to iron them. Oh. And no creases in. I mean, they, they were beautiful. I, th I think when we got home, my mums were impressed. You know, about <laughs> how well we were done with the ironing. And then after that, we started to cook sort of scones, Victoria sponges, fairy cakes and then i remember the last two years at the uh, east school we made christmas cakes and that was a big thing that to make a christmas cake and to ice it as well and what happened was just before the christmas when the cakes had been iced they were all put on display and oh everybody from the school teachers and pupils could come in into, into the domestic science room and they could have a look at all the iced Christmas cakes. Oh, your very own bake-off. Oh, yes. I mean, <laughs> it was a real treat, that. And when you saw your own little Christmas cake that you'd made, and everybody coming in to have a look, oh, you felt so proud. Oh, it, it was marvellous. <laughs> um, I don't know which school I prefer, to be honest, Paul, because they all had... So many good points and happy memories. Um, I do know that the headmistress at um, at the East School, and I'm sure a lot of people who were at the East School the same time as I was, can remember Mrs. Hetherington. She was the headmistress. And she was such a brilliant teacher. She taught maths. Oh, right. She taught maths in such a different way. It wasn't just all numbers and, and signs and, and things like that. When she came in to teach maths, we would start off with something maybe like percentages or um, logs, algebra, something like that. And she would come across something in the books um, that she was interested in. And she would end up sort of the rest of the, school, of the maths lesson she would be talking about something completely different. and But it was fascinating. And before we knew where we were, the school bell had gone to start another lesson. Oh, brilliant. And she was such a good teacher like that. And she used to say, maths isn't just about numbers. Everything has got maths in and numbers and you haven't got to be frightened of them. And that, and that was really good because it, it's true. She made maths a pleasure. Oh, and wow, I think that that if, you, if you can make maths a pleasure 
to do and to listen to. You, you must be a good teacher. Does everybody remember their school colours? Or what house they were in? Or what their school uniform looked like? I bet every one of you listening remembers all of those things. We're off to Hurst Park School next. It was a middle school when I was there, but that was uh, back in the 90s. I'll let Eleanor explain her time there and a little bit of her time at boarding school. Um, after that, I went to the Hurst Park Secondary School and I was in Derwent. That was my form. Derwent. Oh, right, yeah. And I was 37 in the class. <clears throat> um and I can always remember a geography. One of the things we used to do, we used to get a blank map of Britain. And you had to either put rivers, all the rivers, all the cities, all the mountains or hill ranges, uh, and obviously the map of Britain. So you had to know them off by heart. Ah, right. It's quite a good yeah. task, really. I mean, there's a, yeah. a lot of people now couldn't point to uh, where the Tyne is, let alone uh, where the Thames is or the Tweed or the Derwent. That's right, yes. Um, and, you know, well, as I say, you had to learn them off by heart, which was uh, good in one respect. Um, and the teachers I found were very pleasant there. Um, Miss Easton, or Mrs. Easton, I think it was Miss Easton, was the head at that school. Uh, and she was a very pleasant lady. Do you remember having a favourite class? Was there a class you favoured? Um, I think the, uh, well, geography, really. And I think it was... Um, a Miss Laidler, I mind, I could be wrong, but that name sort of springs to mind. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody might be able to uh, give you a bit more information if yeah. uh, anybody comes forward. But I enjoyed, well, I enjoyed geography and history, which, as Neil said, it was more to do with your own country um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in them days than anything else. And I mean, yes, well, the Romans and things like that, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes. So that was... Uh, I never stopped for dinner because I always lived close to the schools that I went to. Uh, so I just went home. Uh, and then I could get back and, as Neil, play in the yard with my friends and things, which was nice. Did you have um, sewing classes and things like that back then? Uh, yes, at the park school we had sewing classes and we had uh, cookery. Oh, okay. Yes, so um, you learned how to do simple dishes. Cooking a blanket. I made an apron a small apron and in in, in sewing, which I did cross-stitch. It was a gingham apron. Oh. My mom, and it had cross-stitches in and, and all the other different stitches, which I cannot really remember the names of all the stitches. But I did like a, a border of uh, stitches um, and 
uh, your cooking, well, you did like, um, oh, uh, cheese on toast and, and simple simple dishes, you know, that you could yeah. do, um, mince and um, just things like that and, and yeah, some yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, I enjoyed those. They were good. Um, I had PE, which I had the the bars and the horse and uh, the box, uh, the ropes. I never could manage was, to climb up the ropes. I was going to ask about that because Hurst Park is what is literally the only school I've ever been to that had the most wonderful, or I guess 1950s, 60s style gymnasium with. Um, the sides of the of the school hall had the yes. um the climbing frames on wheels that you had to pull out, that's lock that's into right. the floor. Yeah, I can remember yes. climbing. I used to enjoy climbing the ropes in PE, but yes, we had the wooden, the old wooden horse, uh, vaulting horse. Did. Uh, yeah. So I I wonder if uh, those were still the same ones at Hurst Park when I went there. It wouldn't yeah. have surprised me. <laughs> probably, probably yes. <laughs> yeah. We're going back to Hurst Park School now, at a slightly different time to before, and certainly a very different time to now. I'm going to let my mum tell us all about Hurst Park as a secondary modern school. Well, I went to Hurst Park Secondary Modern Girls School. I didn't pass me 11 plus, so I didn't get the chance to go to the grammar school, which was fine by me because I didn't want to go to the grammar school. I was a little monkey, really. But anyway, it was from... 1965 to 1970, aged 11 to 16. Basically, I just want to give you the comparison of how different it was for girls during that time. It was unbelievable compared to nowadays. I mean, the for a start, the sort of lessons we did have, which were probably shock you at times. I mean, we had the usual maths but that's another story anyway maths english music art history geography needlework domestic science parent craft parent craft uh -huh. <laughs> you got that when you were 15 you learned how to bathe the baby and you learned how to change nappies so you can see that basically they were sort of grooming these girls for well motherhood was basically her ambition was to get married and have children anyway that was a, a while ago what i was going to talk about was domestic science well that was a laugh for a start you know it was a case of it was quite funny really you didn't start cooking for ages first of all you had to make an apron you had to make a penny which was, I can remember it clearly, was yellow check, dog to check. So you spent a few weeks cutting out an apron's shape and embroidering it and sewing it. Then you had a week of learning how to polish shoes correctly. Then you had a week of um, learning how we had beautiful wooden tables in the domestic science room. There were two domestic science rooms at both ends of the school. Um, facing onto the avenue out the back. They were lovely. But you learned how to scrub the table and go with the grain of the wood. 
I would love to have seen the lesson plan the teacher wrote for that. Oh, God, there was a lot of things like that. And then do <laughs> uh, definitely not. Then you were learned how to wash, hand wash, like wool jumpers, because in those days, jumpers were just pure wool and um, like silk shirts and things like that. And the difference between how you wring them out because I always remember, I've never had a lot of strength in my hands, and I always remember my domestic science teaching, not very happy with me, Mrs. Sanderson, because she said I would have to marry a very rich man who could afford a decent washing machine because I couldn't wring out. <laughs> oh, my goodness me. Some serious aspirations set there. Wow. Yeah. I know. And then you were allowed to make toast. <laughs> what do you think? Oh my goodness. I know. But I can remember, I, th- I can't remember if we we're going to make scrambled egg on toast. And the teacher was obviously doing maybe a demonstration. I, I really can't remember this, but I do remember being sent to do something with the toast. And I literally, oh, in those days as well, in the kitchen, there was a big we had a fire. You had a. Um, a cooker that had the fire in the side and he heated it up sort of thing. And long story short, I was away ages. There was a big cupboard at the end of this room and I was in there and she comes storming in. And what on earth are you looking for, girl? And I just looked at her and I went, a toasting fork? And she, as she did, she burst out laughing. She absolutely burst out laughing. She said, we are not using a toasting fork. We'll do toast under the grill. Why? I've never done toast under the grill in my life. I had an open fire. Why did you want to do toast and put an oven on when you can just stick it on a toasting fork and hold it over a fire? So that was quite novel to me, believe it or not, to do toast under the grill. Didn't have toasters. Toasters hadn't been invented then. Um, at least not in Ashington. That weren't the weren't. <laughs> Um, so that would have been 1965. That was a whole new thing. But gradually, you know, you were allowed to sort of make cakes and pastries and proper dinners, shepherd's pie and everything. You would cook the mince, the vegetables and make all these. It was a good grounding. I can't say anything else. Um, I still use lots of the, the ways I was taught in those days. I still use today Christmas cakes and icing cakes and all these sort of skills it was a good day and domestic science lessons was like from nine o'clock in the morning till lunchtime oh wow you know it was all morning it was one of my favorite it was monday morning for me i can remember nearly all the way through school and they were wonderful and i don't know how the teachers did it because when you think it it was full-blown sometimes quite expensive sort of meals that were made you know steak and mm. puddings and things like that and you, you know our parents money to be able to do these things so if they went wrong which occasionally they do i remember making fresh lemonade and my mum mm. had been very ill in hospital and um i came home with this fresh lemonade and i was so close to day she was still in bed to give her a great big glass of it <laughs> She had stitches, terrible, you know, she had a major operation and she got, it was so bitter, I hadn't tasted it first, it was so bitter, she spat it out 
Oh my god! <laughs> it was horrendous. I've never forgot. But um, yeah, it was a basic grounding. But basically, we were never taught things like, well, the A stream. I'm saying we never would eat. We had science, but you had to go to the boys' school because it was girls and boys and war betide if you, you know, went into the boys' area. So we had someone who used to teach us for about two years, science. And then I believe he either left or retired. So they didn't replace him or they did replace him, but maybe there wasn't enough to teach the girls as well or he, the new teacher didn't want to teach girls. Probably didn't think Goodness it was necessary. So we didn't have a science teacher. Um, French, again, was only for the top stream um, and it was the headmistress um, who else what else was that? I can't really remember some of the things oh the, I was the park school you were just literally you were in that class you're in that class you're in that class and all my friends went into one class and I was put in the other and I kept thinking I'm in the wrong class well, after a year of being in this class, which I loved, there were a lovely group of girls, Mam got a letter saying that I was being moved into the other class. <laughs> but <laughs> the other class had were miles ahead in maths. So they decided the teacher who taught maths was quite poorly and was no longer available. So they brought in a new teacher for a short time to cover. And this teacher decided it was enough to teach the new class. And me being a little bit behind with maths, they just gave me a book to read in the maths class. Oh, my God. Can you imagine that? Oh, wow. Imagine. But I don't know if I told my mum and dad. Or, but in those days, parents didn't go up and complain. They just accepted what the school did um yeah. i mean nowadays you could probably sue northumberland county council for <laughs> what it would have been called in 1967 or whenever it was that i went into this class but i never had another maths lesson properly wow goodness me i know yeah. i know but I got, I still got a CSE maths. I did my maths exam. How? I don't know. Pure luck, I think. So maybe if I'd had a few more lessons, I might have been able to be better. But never mind. I never got the opportunity. And you just, but I read a lot of books. I did read. A lot of yeah, well, I mean, so all that, I guess that fed your uh, passion for reading, at least. Perhaps, perhaps. God knows. I don't know. Maybe I was quite lazy as well and I didn't push it enough. Maths was never my favourite subject because obviously I didn't particularly understand it. Um, mm. Another story anyway, definitely another story. <laughs> but it's the fact that, you know, this domestic science was really sort of moving you towards marriage and children. Um, very... The funny thing about that, though, is like all of the stuff they taught you is um, fairly vital stuff. If it wasn't for the misogyny of it, actually, what they were teaching you is stuff you think nowadays, yeah, you could do with knowing that, really. Was... You know, you, you know, ra rather than how to make a pizza, um, it would be better to know how to make a shepherd's pie and be better to know how to change nappies and it would be better to know. Exactly. 
how to take care of furniture and things yeah. like that. Yeah. For boys and girls, we had one in yeah, the exactly, fifth yeah. year who came, he wanted to be a chef. And the oh, okay. in this lad got, he came over and he did, um, came over from the boys area and he actually did domestic science with us in the fifth year, fourth or fifth year, I can't quite remember. Lovely lad. And he wondered, I often wondered if he succeeded because by God, he took some rubbing being the only boy that mm. Um, I mean, girls weren't allowed to do woodwork or metalwork or anything like that. We couldn't do stuff. We just didn't get the option. So um, Ridiculous. I don't know how he, whether he asked or whether he had forward-thinking parents who encouraged him, but he, he was the only boy all the way through school. I can see him in my mind's eye now, and I often did think, I wonder if he became a chef somewhere, you know. But yeah. it was very much, I mean, we, like I say, this parent craft when you got to 15. Friday afternoons, it was a, a district nurse came in, probably a midwife, uh, all people with baby dolls, and they were taught how to bath them and how <laughs> to look after them. And, oh, God, yes. You were mm, certainly, yeah. I don't suppose you were taught that at the grammar school. <laughs> I don't, I, I doubtful, think they were doubtful. given higher goals to aim for. Well then, what do we think of that? Aspirations between a secondary modern and a grammar school were certainly a bit different. And I love to think that young lad did go on to be a chef. I hope he did. I mean, you look at chefs now, it's so many of them that we see on TV certainly are male. And yet, scroll back the clock in there and you, uh, you're laughed at for wanting to do something like that. Possibly because it wasn't seen as a career, I suppose they considered... Uh, the domestic science and cookery simply to be training women for, you know, the role in the kitchen. Thank goodness times have changed. Right, where to next? We are off to Ashington Grammar School now. Now, I went to Ashington High School when it was just a high school, but my dad has some fond memories of Ashington Grammar School. So I went up from North Seaton Junior School to the grammar school and, and I have to say the first term I found quite tough, not because it was a grammar school, but because I was the only one, sadly, who had actually gone through from the 11 plus from North Seaton Junior School in that particular year group. So although my brother Harry was at the school, uh, I didn't have anybody immediately who I, I knew and yet other people did. There was people from all sorts of different schools. So the first term was tough, but that was the first term when I had to make new friends. And, and these are friends, some of these friends that I've known ever since. And, and what year was that? Uh, 68, 60, yeah, 67, 68, because, uh, okay. yeah. So I, I stayed on into the sixth form. So I was at the grammar school for seven years in total. Um, right to the end of the year levels before I left to get a job. Uh, I mean, in seven years, there's all sorts of uh, recollections you could have, and and uh, but I think just one or two. I'll, I'll tell you just one or two little stories. Um, as as you know, I'm, I'm I like to be practical with my hands, but I would be honest enough to say when it came to art, art was never a subject that uh, I could say I was good at. Right, but one particular. <laughs> story was uh i think it was the second year at the grammar school second or third year we we're doing an art class and the teacher said 
I'm going to play you a piece of music. And when I play this piece of music, I then want you to paint what that music gives you in your mind. So I thought, great. So the piece of music that came on was Simon and Garfunkel's The Sound of Silence. So I kind of thought it would be quite, uh, quite good just to put a border around the outside of my page, sign it at the bottom, and leave it blank in the middle. <laughs> that was finished pretty quick. And the art teacher came around, and other people were getting on, and they were painting all sorts of things. And I, I sat there, had had done it in less than five minutes. And uh, <laughs> she came and she said, what do you think you're doing, George? I said, I, I, I've done what you asked, miss. And she said, well, well, I asked you to paint what that piece of music brought into your head. And I said, well, that's exactly what I've done. And she said, but you've got nothing on your page apart from a border. And I said, yes, in the middle, it's the sound of silence. There's nothing. And I thought that was quite good, actually, for me, really. She didn't think it was very funny at all. And uh, I, want, I want a bit more than that. So I had to start and rethink it. But there you go. That was my uh, that was my alternative art class. You know, they were the skills I had at art, you see. But um... I can see why you went down the sciences route in the end. Then. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true. It was a bit more practical. And I could say something at the end of it. <clears throat> I thought it was quite good. But never mind, she didn't. Um, the other thing is... A couple of little things. Um, a, little, a little story about uh, long hair. So in the in the seventies, it was the fashion to grow your hair quite long, and a number of us in the year group had grown my hair quite long, shoulder length beyond the collar, down onto the top of the back, etc. You've seen those pictures. I have. I've laughed at all of them. But two weeks before we were due to sit our O levels the head teacher decreed that to sit your O-levels, you had to have hair for boys that was above two weeks before O-level. So there were quite, oh my. quite a few of us in the air group were pretty aggrieved because we'd spent all our time trying to grow our hair really long. And uh, no one had scruffy hair. It was all well, well kept neat and tidy. And it was, it was always brushed or combed. But the head teacher decided you couldn't sit your O-levels unless you had your hair above collar length. And he sent a letter to uh, parents. And so, of course, you know, there were a few of us up in arms, wanted to speak to the head teacher. He was having none of that. And he basically, it was an edict. And he said, if you don't get your hair cut, and uh, we will look for this as well when you come to your exams, you don't sit your O-levels. And sadly, there was one lad in our year group who decided that was just too far. And uh, he was held back and, and didn't get a chance to sit his O-level straight away. So I think wow. you know, it's pretty draconian, but that, that was the edict at the time. Never mind. God, you couldn't do that now. There'd be but, just absolute uproar if you tried to do that but, now. Parents would be protesting and everything. But then the crazy thing was, we came back into the sixth form and we started to grow a hair again. <laughs> you know, it kind of defeated the object the other thing is I guess a lot of my other recollections from school I mean, it was great I really enjoyed my time at, at grammar school I have to be honest even though the first term was tough I really enjoyed it and there were lots and lots of things that were good about the school and about our friends and, and the things that we did the, the um, trips away that we had 
Um, lots of sport. And, and as you know, I played rugby at school and then played football. And, um, you know, one, one in particular, uh, can you remember Mr. Mr. Morris, Brian Morris? Uh, Brian Morris taught me history years later. Yeah. So when we were kind of, I think it was third or fourth, fourth year at school, um, so in the 14s, we were playing, playing rugby at a, at a um, practice night after school. And uh, he was playing along with us and he was like showing us various moves. But he was also teaching us to tackle hard. And I remember him running along and I ran in behind him to go. And I was just starting to dip my shoulders down for tackling him around the top of the legs and the waist. And he, he pulled his, his free arm back and the elbow hit me right in the nose and just immediately burst my nose and broke my nose. So I'm left lying on the floor as he goes flying down the wing. And then he, he, saw, he saw me picking myself up and he came back and blood streaming down the nose. And he said, oh, right, OK, uh, you better go into the changing rooms and, and get yourself a shower. And then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll ring your parents, but I'll take you to hospital because it looks like your nose is broken. Well, it was pretty obvious my nose was broken. <laughs> so if you can remember, I did uh, recount that story to you and some of your friends as you went to one of your field trips to... Ford Castle, which I Ford Castle, yeah, taking, and then he wasn't very, I wasn't very pleased that I recounted that to you. I know, yeah. I know, yeah. Well, he was a history teacher by the time uh, I was there, um, and I, maybe it was an enforced move from PE to history. I don't know. <laughs> it's safer to put him in a history classroom. He did both because often many of the did both. I mean, we had chemistry teachers who did PE, and and you know they all had usually had two subjects yeah, yeah. that they taught. <laughs> but we had like a couple of, couple of really um, good PE teachers. One was called Ron Edwardson, who a lot of people used to call uh, Stumpy, and uh, he was he played rugby. I think he played rugby at, at Gosworth. But the reason he was called Stumpy was he had a very broad, short neck, so it looked like his head came straight out of his shoulders. But he was a very thick-set bloke. And uh, Ron Edwardson, he always used to say when we were playing rugby, his his signature um, phrase used to be. Pass and move, laddie. Pass and move, laddie. And he would, he would <laughs> regularly just stop you in the middle of it and, and just say, right, do that routine again. You didn't do it right, you lot. And we'd stop in the middle of a game and have to kind of re, re, redo the, the, the scrum or whatever. But he was great. He also t- um, taught me and my friend Stephen Hudson how to play uh, decent table tennis. He was a very good table tennis player, as was a guy called Pat Tudor. And... Um, they used to take a bit of time at lunch times, and they taught Stephen and I how to to play table tennis better. And um, so that you know, they would spend their own lunch times help helping kids. Um, people would take others for badminton and stuff like that. So it was all about trying to help you improve. You know, <laughs> very good, very good. I'll tell you, all right. I'll tell you one last little story. Uh, oh, go for it. Mister Tudor was uh, Pat Tudor was was very good on. Um, PE, but he, he liked to be quite a dominant teacher. And he used to play this game sometimes with you on. It was a reaction game. So the way it worked was you had to grab one of his wrists and his other hand would grab your wrist. And when he said go, the idea was you had to try or he had to try and clip you on the on the cheek and slap you, slap your face. And you had to react and stop his hand or he had to stop your hand. Well, because he was quite a strong character, more often than not, when he was demonstrating this game to classes, 
you know, he would easily win because he was much stronger. He would clip somebody on the on the face and give him a little bit of a slap across the face. Nothing too hard, but enough to, to let you know he'd been slapped across the face. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that that one. I mean, cranky, you'd ban the kids from playing that in the playground, let alone the <laughs> staff playing it with the kids. Well, anyway, after a, a, a few attempts at this, me and my friend Stephen and uh, Davey Little and Gary Oliver, the four of us, concocted this plan that if he chose one of us to be the, the demonstrator uh, in the class that day, we weren't going to let him get to the point where he said go. <laughs> we were just going to, whoever it was, but as soon as he grabbed the wrist or you, and you grabbed his wrist, he'd immediately react. So my friend Stephen was the one who uh, was was chosen for this day. And of course, as, as Stephen stepped forward to be the, the demonstrator with Mr. Tudor, he, he glanced across at us and we all just smiled because we knew what we'd all agreed. And as soon as um, Mr. Tudor grabbed Stephen's wrist, and Stephen had grabbed his. Stephen didn't wait for the go. He just like, quickly slapped slap Pat Tudor, the teacher, across the face. <laughs> and it goes, we just fell about laughing. And he just looked at me. He knew what we... And he laughed. He laughed and he uh, he smiled and he said, oh, you boys thought you've got one over on me there, didn't you? Well, now we'll start the real demonstration, Mr. Hudson, you know, to Stephen. So Stephen knew he, <laughs> he was in for a slap on the face. And sure enough, when Mr. Tudor said go, Stephen was never going to be able to hold his his hand or arm back. So, but, uh, but same guys, they were, they were great fun. You know, we we went on rugby trips. We played for the school in the 15s rugby team, and I remember we had a a trip to um, Melrose. So we stayed in in the youth hostel in Melrose and was with the girls hockey team as well. And we played um, we played Melrose. So I played Melrose, Gala Shields. Um, and Jed, I think it was Jedborough. We played those three, three. Oh, Hike, sorry. We played three teams up there: Jed, Jedborough, Gallas Shields, and Hike. And we played three games up there. Uh, I also remember going to Twickenham back in the early seventies. Playing, we went to see England v France, and we'd we'd gone on a rugby trip with the first fifteen, and and us as under fifteens, and we played this in Christopher Wren's school in the morning, and then we all went back to the ho- the uh, youth hostel that we're staying in got dressed and went off to, to Twickenham in the very early days, long before it was so built up like it is now. It was a still a decent stadium. But uh, we were allowed on the pitch at the end of the game as well. So that was great fun. So many funny stories from the grammar school that I'll have to go back to my dad and get him to share many, many more. I love the story of Brian Morris. Honestly, if anybody out there can remember Mr. Morris, I mean, I remember him obviously because he taught me and actually worked with him for a little while many years later. But Brian was just one of the the gentlest guys. When I was at school, he solely taught history, for one thing, and he looked like a history teacher. You know, he had wild grey hair and his his tweed jacket, and he was such a softly spoken guy that it was just brilliant to hear this story of him in his much younger days, kind of wildly tackling lads and then sort of going, I think you've broken your nose there. Uh, Go and have a shower, and then we'll sort you out. (laughs) Just brilliant. I doubt they had half the paperwork to fill in from an accident like that that we do now. All right, let's see where we're headed next. Now, no episode would be the same without some input from Neil. So let's head over to Mr King's house and hear what he can remember after his 11 plus. 61 
1961, that's when I started the grammar school, after having passed my 11 plus, of which I have absolutely no recollection. I don't <laughs> even know how I did it. Uh, well, let's, however, let's not query that now. Let's not. <laughs> no. <laughs> however, it was the same time that we moved, my mum and dad moved from the flats that they'd bought in Woodhorn Road with the outside toilet. Oof. And they moved and they moved to the eighth row. My dad got his colliery house in the eighth row. So for the first time in my life, we actually had an inside toilet. Goodness me, the decadence. I know, and and even shoes in the window. I mean it was just no, I'm exaggerating. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did have shoes when I when I went to the, the to school. Now, and and that was the thing. The, the grammar school was just. It was. It was just such an eye opener. Going from a sort of closeted uh, one class in the North School to it seemed like getting together with. Thousands and thousands of, mm. of other kids at the grammar school. Clearly, there wasn't, but it just seemed like it. The size of the school was huge, and of course, you had to change classes. You weren't you weren't stuck in the same classroom all the time. So, on your first morning, you went in, and people would say, "Right, this is where you go. This is your class. This is your form teacher. Great." And then they would say, "Now." This is your list of lessons, and this is the rooms you need to be in. Well, for some reason, you seem to think, am I the only one who doesn't actually know <laughs> me way around here? Yeah. However, I soon found out that I wasn't the only one, and there was a whole classroom full of didn't know which way to go. So when the bell rang and the form teacher says, right, off you go to room such and such. Well, it was like a herd of wildebeest just roaming the plains. <laughs> <laughs> and you could tell you could tell the uh, the kids who'd been there a while. They were just sort of ambling all the way along, and the rest of them were like just uh, ooh, looking, shaking their heads, thinking which way they were gone now. But luckily, there was a whole classroom full of them. <laughs> so that was that was sort of the first. First thing, that was my first day. I thought we'll never get the hang of this, but I was I wasn't alone, which was great. And what's funny, Neil, is kids still have exactly that same fear now, don't they? You know, they really do. Um, I mean, it's the first thing kids say to me when we when they move into what would be year seven now. Uh, used to be year nine, their first year in high school. The, 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 when you say to them, what are you most worried about? It's most worried about finding my way around the school, and then the second one is making friends. Yeah, I have to say that making friends didn't didn't actually seem a problem. Um, I, I was fairly lucky. There were there were a few of my mates from the North School passed their exam, eleven plus, and were actually in the same class so it wasn't as if I was like just the only one and didn't know anybody so I, I, I think I was pretty lucky in that in that respect and of course with me being a, a sort of outgoing chap <laughs> um, it, wasn't, 
it wasn't really hard. And you mean it, did, it didn't say Neil is a wallflower on your report, I'm shocked. Uh, no, it didn't. I, I was actually quite a, quite a good mixer. <laughs> um, and the other thing that sort of sticks really in my mind was after games, you could have a shower in the school. Goodness well, me. Well, exactly. I mean, even even with what outs were inside toilet in the eighth row, we didn't have a shower. So what a what a thing that was after games. And of course, it, you had to have a shower. It was compulsory. Yeah. So whether whether you've been sweating or not, you had to have a shower. <laughs> um, and it was, oh, look at this, a shower. Good grief. Now <laughs> and now of course you think well, a shower, well, everybody has a shower, but not in them days. I mean, we had a bath, but we didn't have a shower at home. So it was, again, it was a bit of a bit of a novelty. Gosh. Um, yeah, it was just a shower, good grief. Um, and the other thing was having a uniform. Ah, yes, but, yes. Do you still remember your uniform? Yes, it was blue, a blue, dark blue blazer, white shirt. I think it was a blue tie with a red stripe and uh, dark gray trousers. Um, and of course, I felt well, I was like the bee's knees with a uniform. Uh, and I think, to be fair, it was it was a good it was a good level. It meant that everybody looked the same. Everybody dressed the same. It didn't matter how much money you had, you were you were just exactly the same as whoever was sitting next to you, which which I think is a good idea. And of course, you didn't wear trainers in them days. It was black shoes. Well, yes, they're not meant to wear trainers now. <laughs> no, and uh, it was yeah, just putting me uh, me shirt on and me me tie with me Windsor knot. Oh. oh, yes, I had a Windsor knot. My dad made sure that uh, I had my Windsor knot. And I've, since that day, I've always been able to tie a good Windsor knot. It's an important skill. It is. I mean, you look at the, some of the politicians on the telly and you think, <laughs> oh, dear me, clearly nobody's taught them how to tie a knot. <laughs> Indeed. So when you were at the grammar school, Neil, do you have a, a favourite lesson or is there a standout teacher memory that you have? Well, it's difficult it, it's it's difficult to say. I couldn't I, I remember Mr. Graham at the North School. Now I rem, one of the one of the nicest guys was actually Stumpy Watson. Stumpy Watson. Stumpy uh, sorry, Stumpy Richardson. And Miss he would call him Stumpy because he didn't have a neck. <laughs> his, his head stuck just onto his shoulders. A bit like Odd Job <laughs> in James Bond. In, in James Bond. He's, he just, his head just stuck on his shoulders. And that, he was, uh, he taught, I think he taught, taught history, geography, and games. Now, I remember him best as a games teacher. Mm. And he was super fit, but as soon as I remember, as soon as he started running or, or doing whatever he had to do, he absolutely sweat buckets. He used to sweat more than us. Oh, and lovely! And I thought, hang on, you're supposed to be the guy who's you're you're the you're the fitness bloke here, and you're just sweating, <laughs> <laughs> you're sweating cobblers, and we haven't even started yet. 
Um, so he was he was a great teacher, and he gave a lot of his own time to taking where I remember basketball was my favourite sport, probably even even more favourite than uh, football. I used to love basketball, and we used to tour all over Northumberland playing basketball, and he was yeah he was really good. Oh, I'll take you back with one of my times playing football because of course in them days we had brown everybody had brown football boots with proper studs in and like steel toe caps Ooh. and we've used a proper leather ball and it was laced up it was just after the pig's blood had gone out of fashion and we had a proper leather ball but it was laced up and I remember one Saturday morning we'd gone to Blythe to play Blythe Grammar School I was playing right fullback, and the, they got a corner. The ball was kicked from the corner, and it went out a bit. And this kid from Blythe whacked the ball towards the goal. I was standing on the goal line, as fullbacks did then when there was a corner kick taken. And the ball came rocketing towards us, so I had to header it out <laughs> of the goal model. The laces of the ball hit a smack bang on the forehead. The ball dropped to the ground. I can't even say it. It headed it out. It dropped to the ground, and I rolled back. It shot me back into the net. Because the, <laughs> the, ball, the ball was that heavy because it was wet. <laughs> and I'm sure, I'm sure I got concussion. Anyway, but <laughs> they were the, they were the good old days. They were the Stanley Matthews days when when balls were balls and men were men. And <laughs> lace marks were across your forehead for weeks after. <laughs> and I, I have to say that I was I, I think I consider myself looking to pass the eleven plus, but there were a lot of lads who I thought were cleverer than me actually didn't. And the the lads who some of the lads that were in my class when I went to grammar school, they were actually quite thick. <laughs> and I used to think to myself, how come the lads who I thought were bright didn't pass their eleven plus and you're sitting here with me at grammar school and you're all thick. You <laughs> you shouldn't be <laughs> In fact, there was one day, one of the one of the lads, he, he was just he was off his trolley basically. And he there was I think it was history. And the, the history teacher, Butch Taylor, that was his name, Butch Taylor. Butch it, Taylor, what a name. Butch Taylor, big, big bloke. He he had a neck. Uh big bloke, he had a neck. But he used to his favourite was to throw the blackboard duster. And he this kid sitting behind me, I saw I saw what was going to happen. I saw that the blackboard duster was coming, so I was able to duck, and the blackboard duster hit him. So he, the, the lad, he took umbrage at this, and he rushed over to the window, and he opened the window. He says, right, that's it. I'm going to jump. So Butch says, oh dear. Aye. So Butch says, well, jump. But remember, we are on the ground floor. So he's very <laughs> much. He was only about three foot from the ground, so I thought, you know, you shouldn't be here. You should be at the. You shouldn't be at the grammar school. You know, if you're gonna jump, yeah. if you're gonna jump, go on up the first or second floors. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dear me. Oh. And, uh, well, and we yeah. We last, we last recollection of, of, was French. Now I could never, I could never quite get into this French lock, and it wasn't until I think what, you had to do French. It was, it was compulsory. Um, you had to do it for two or three years, two years, I think. And after that, you could you could move on to a different subject. You didn't have to take it. But I always remember French. I can never get the hang of it. Um, in in my last year, I've still got the report, and I read it with pride sometimes. And my French teacher, lovely woman, said he gave up trying. Oh dear! And now, apparently, Paul, as you as you may well know, nowadays I don't think you're supposed to say that. No, they're very careful about what we're allowed to write in students' reports nowadays, no matter how honest we want to be. Yeah, but but she wrote, she condensed my my French ability in four words perfectly, and I couldn't have I couldn't have criticised her one little bit. He gave up trying. Oh dear, oh dear, Neil. Apparently the French speak backwards. Now, I didn't realise that, you see. I try to, when I try to translate French, I try to translate it like we spoke English. Not that a lot of us in Ashton spoke English in them days. But no way, that, that was me, that was me <laughs> French. He gave, he gave up trying. He gave up trying. <laughs> oh dear, oh dear. As you can hear, Oh, I was. Neil just makes me laugh. But could you imagine a school teacher back then being able to do that on your report? Just say he gave up trying. I mean, you definitely couldn't write that now. I would not be allowed to write that on anybody's report now. My goodness me. But at least Neil can admit it was true. I did say that this was going to be a bumper episode, didn't I? Well, it is. I've just looked at the running time and it's a lot longer than the normal episodes. I do hope you're enjoying it. Um, Next up, some Facebook memories that you've shared. Just give me a minute to open the app. Let's dive into those memories from Facebook. As always, thank you to everybody who shares their memories with me via Ashington Remembered and the North Seton pages. It's absolutely lovely, and I do hope I do them some justice reading them out. Let's have a start then. So, first one up is from Jean, who says, I remember the arches at Hearst Park. I remember them too. Uh, they filled them in when I was there, mind. Uh, no, towards the end of me being there, I think. Um, but, you know, you were hardy back then, weren't you? So you could handle the cold wind that blew in. I'm 80 this year, says Jean. I loved this school did lots of after-school activities as well. Jean also remembers enjoying music with Miss Watson, sewing with Miss Young, English with Miss Easton, and dancing with Mrs Ingram. Does anybody else remember those teachers? Mel, um, he rem comments that he remembers Ashington County Grammar, the best of sixth form in 1965. Matty Chapman was the head, and Mr. Epsley did electronics class. Kane went to Hurst Park and loved it. Had some great teachers there, 
and thought it was a beautiful building with real character. I have to admit, I, I quite agree, it will be an extraordinarily sad day when that one is pulled down, because it is just a beautiful building inside as well as out. Um, Phil has left the comment to say, um, Met my husband in sixth form at Ashington Grammar School, 47 years this year. It's a lovely one, isn't it? Uh, Pauline also went to Hurst Park and absolutely loved it there. Loving the teachers has many, many happy memories, including ballet lessons with Miss Ingram and library hour. I have to admit, I loved the library uh, when I was at Hurst Park, although I don't think from almost every person I've ever spoken to who went to Hurst Park School, the library moved around more than the room of requirement in Harry Potter, frankly. Um, because when you tell somebody about the library at Hurst Park, they ask you where it was in the building, and it's always in a different place. Um, some people it was upstairs, which was the music room in my day. Um, so, yeah, but lovely. I used to love the library on rainy days at Hurst Park. Maybe it was the character of the building again that kind of added to that. Uh, Tommy, uh, this one's great. <laughs> Tommy says, I can remember trying to get 15 people into a small toilet on the first floor at Ashton Grammar School. We did, and we shut the door, but we couldn't open it again. Some some of us had to climb out the window to relieve the pressure. Great days and great memories. <laughs> Sue just replied, you nutters. I have to agree with you, Sue. Uh, Sue also comments herself, first year at Ashton Grammar was spent in the mining school, loving the two quadrangles. So the mining school was uh, eventually just used as an annex building, um, which it was when I was there, it was the annex building. Um, and it was very like Hearst Park with those two quadrangles and the open archways. We used to, go, we used to run between them, I remember doing that. And a great-grandson is now attending the school. Wow, that's great, isn't it? What else have we got? So, um, Sue also mentioning... Um, she can't deny that she thinks the additions to the architecture are less attractive. I quite agree. Um, there's something nice about a 1960s building and less so about a great big orange box slapped on the front of it. Uh, Madeline remembers after-school activities. Started at the grammar school in 1966 and instantly signed up for a different club every single night. My parents were thrilled, she says. I was never home before 5pm. I bet they were. I bet they were. So she remembers uh, History Modelling Club, making a Model T Ford, nice, and helped to create the Golden Hind, Netball and Hockey Practice, and best of all, the Drama League on Friday nights. Cool. Uh, also, loved all the school drama productions uh, after seeing the Diary of Anne Frank in her first year. And I did comment, actually, um, because, I, I mean, I'm a teacher and I'm a big believer that after-school clubs can be equally as important in shaping our character as anything we learn in the classroom and uh, Madeline agrees absolutely shaped me as a person also the excursions and field trips going to places like housesteads for our first year trip um yeah lovely wonderful wonderful I'll have a quick scan through here for anything else uh Jennifer has lots of lovely memories from Hearst Park especially music with Miss Watson I was secretary for the choir and band and we won many trophies at the Wandsbeck Music Festival. I have to admit, I don't have a musical bone in my body. Um, I mean, they won't even, wouldn't even get me to play the triangle. That's how bad it was. But I did see many 
a concert at one's back supporting my brother who can pick up any instrument any instrument and just play it the lucky devil so that's lovely that's that's something so nice about this area isn't it that's that's a memory only we have in this this area is going to one's back music festival uh, Jennifer also remembers that they performed at Hexham Abbey for a Christmas TV program uh, and then took part in an ITV program show um, that was on shown on Christmas Day 1967 called I Saw Three Ships. Spent two days at Kielder filming after we'd done the recordings at Time T's studio. She was treated like a film star by the producer and those memories have stayed with her to this day. Um, that's pretty cool. If anybody else remembers seeing I Saw Three Ships back in 1967, um, please drop a comment. That That's pretty cool. That is really cool. And lots of people chimed in on that with some memories as well. So if you are on the Facebook for Ashit and Remember, check those comments out. Jason remembers a Youth Club at Alexandra Middle, uh, tearing around the yard on the Youth Club-owned Yamaha 80 Cross. He says, health and safety? Nah. <laughs> Brenda started at the grammar school in 1961. Uh, we were the first first years. The older pupils had all been transferred into the grammar school from out of the area, so places like Blythe, Morpeth and Bedleton. Uh, the first morning was very scary. We were introduced to the head, Mr Chapman, and his deputies. Um, all the staff were seated on seats uh, on the stage, and they all wore black cloaks. When they walked along the corridors, they reminded me of crows. I can see that. I've never thought of that imagery before, but I can totally see it. Even the sixth formers wore little black cloaks. Oh, cool. Uh, they seemed very old. Yeah, they always do when you're in the first year of high school, don't they? You look at the sixth form and you think, oh my goodness, look how grown up and mature they are. Well, maybe less mature, but grown up, certainly. Uh, we were taken to our form rooms and we had to write down our classes and homework timetables and we were given text and exercise books to take home to be backed with brown paper. Oh, fantastic. None of the staff seemed to smile. Perhaps they were just as terrified as we were. At some point, we had to write down our favourite group, meal, etc. Uh, and these were put into our time capsule. Ooh, wonder whatever happened to the time capsule. Hmm. If anybody knows what happened to the time capsule um, from 1961, please get in touch. I wonder if somebody at the actual high school, because obviously long after it was a grammar, what if they did anything with that? I may inquire about that one through my own channels. Uh, Kevin remembers Hearst Park School. Uh, once summer came, oh yeah, we were allowed out of the playground and into the park itself. It felt like freedom getting off the school premises. Do you know, I do remember them doing that when I was there in the summer. They opened those uh, back two gates and you were allowed out. And it was that's this huge area of Hearst Park, which is just beautiful, isn't it? Um, and you could just run straight out. It was wonderful. Wonderful sense of freedom. Uh, and Davy says he remembers the Park School end of year concert with music teacher Mr. Heron uh, getting him up and uh, singing all shook up how fantastic well thank you very much as always to every single one of you that takes a minute to share a memory on facebook and allows me to read them out on here i hope they stir memories for those of you that are listening and i hope they put some smiles on your faces they certainly make me smile 
Well, that is the end of episode 10 and the end of series 1. As I said earlier, I'm going to take a little bit of a break and do a couple of shorter one-to-one episodes for the next couple of weeks just to save me some editing time. got lots of things I've got to do at work as we go back into real classroom teaching again, so my time may be swallowed up by that, I think, until I uh, work out a new pattern for producing the podcast. Thank you very much to everyone who shares a memory on Facebook and lets me read it out. And thank you to those people that continue to send me messages of, of, of encouragement to keep going and just telling me how much you're really enjoying the show. It's lovely. You know, there's over 300 people listening and um, there's people from all over the country and all over the world listening. And, and it's just lovely to know that it's being so well received. I hope that as we come out of this, what is it, third lockdown here, and the sunny days seem to be arriving again. I really hope that this is putting a smile on people's face while you're indoors so much. And I look forward to sharing more and more stories with you when we kick off Series 2 in a couple of weeks. I'm going to play us out of this episode with Billy Foster's Asherton Remembered track that he has kindly donated to the show. Take care of yourself, and I will speak to you all again soon. It's a group for me With the pictures and the stories Of the way that I used to be The biggest mine and tune in the world With folks second to none With a thriving community Where is it all gone? We had the pits somewhat broken 24 hours a day, the miners were open shift forward for a good day's game. The wives would stay at home and prepare some proper food, like broth with leeks and studies. Man, it tasted good. That's a good for me. The stories of the way that it used to be. Picture house, I think we have more. There were hours full of the door. Read up on the white shop cultures, but saddest on the floor. Donkeys for our pasties, and whether Anderson's for our pork. Neonards for our sweets and newspaper.
Сам сейчас 